Section 2. Lessons from Leadership Great management is critical to the long-term success of any large organization. Strong management is disciplined and rigorous. Facts, analysis, detail. Facts, analysis, detail. Repeat. You can never do enough, and it does not end. Complex activity requires hard work and no uneducated guesswork. Test, 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 and learn, learn, learn. And accept failure as a normal recurring outcome. Develop great models, but understand they are not the answer. Judgment has to be involved in matters related to human beings and extraordinary events. You need to have good decision-making processes. Force urgency and kill complacency. Know that there is competition everywhere all the time. But even if you do all of this well, it is not enough. 1. Enforce a good decision-making process. A good decision-making process involves having the right people in the room with all the information fully shared. All too often, I have seen precisely the opposite. There is also the need for constant feedback and follow-up. A bad decision-making process kills. If necessary, review the information over and over. Often the answer is simply waiting to be found. And if you don't have to, don't rush. While intuition matters, and it can be the final deciding factor, intuition is not guessing. It is usually based on years of experience, hard work, and practice. 2. Examine raw data and focus on real numbers. It is helpful to try and separate and examine actual raw data versus calculated numbers. A few examples will suffice. You always learn a lot more when you dig deep into the numbers. Look at total car sales the number of people employed or the actual price of goods, compared with calculated data like gross domestic product, inflation, or productivity. For the latter, examine all of the methodologies and assumptions that go into those calculations. For instance, productivity tries to adjust for, or simply sometimes can adjust for, new products that are superior to old products, such as smartphones versus dumb phones. Similarly, calculations for inflation factor in something called owner's equivalent rent, which generally differs substantially from actual home prices or rental costs. Applied to corporate operations, examine the details. Many companies look at net new accounts, which could be going up dramatically because of prices or marketing, masking attrition or consumers' dissatisfaction with the product. In detail, look at errors, complaints, attrition, competitors, and other new entrants. Look at market share by customer segment so as not to miss behavior shifts. Frequently, raw data tell a different story from what management may be saying. Too often, management teams use the facts to justify what they already think or to celebrate what they believe is a great success. Being true to these principles requires relentless discipline, which you should expect of us. 3. Understand when analysis is necessary and when it impedes change. While I am fanatical about detail and multi-year analysis, it's important to be cautious about its application. Assumptions are frequently involved, and small changes in a few variables can dramatically change an outcome. Even net present value analysis fails to capture the true value of something after a certain period of time. For instance, people commonly look at the five-year net present value of a customer acquisition, which can mask the true compounding effect of keeping that client for 20 years. And we have often seen net present value analysis fail to capture ancillary benefits like customer happiness, 
that can often be more important than the analysis itself. Sometimes a new product or an investment should simply be considered table stakes, meaning there is no need to do analysis at all. Think about banks adding the capability of opening new accounts digitally, for example, or maintaining a strong technology infrastructure and adopting new technologies like cloud or artificial intelligence. These could be life-or-death decisions for a company, so instead of focusing on net present value, the emphasis should be on getting the work done properly, efficiently, and quickly. Bureaucrats can torture people with analysis, stifling innovation, new products, testing, and intuition. In the last section, I go into further detail about how certain analyses fail to guide us to the right answer in public policy, particularly around complex issues like healthcare, job creation, mortgage markets, and infrastructure. 4. Before conducting an important analysis, assess all relevant factors involved. I frequently see people trying to understand a complex situation without considering all the factors involved. In the final section, I attempt to analyze China as a strategic competitor. It's critical to weigh all the factors, cultural, psychological, and historical. Also, what are the legal factors, and how is the rule of law applied? What is the country's situation with raw materials? What is the country's geography and relationship with its neighbors? It is important to lay out all the important variables before you start an assessment, to ensure that they are all carefully reviewed and that one's judgment is not clouded early on by over-focusing on just a few issues. In business, this type of assessment should also be applied to your competitors and to those you deem to be future competitors, as well as to your own strengths and weaknesses. In the next section, I describe the evolving competitive landscape for banks. 5. Always deal with reality. In business, as in life, we must deal with both certainty and uncertainty. A simple look at history and our economic past illustrates the rather unpredictable nature of things. As a result, at the firm, we try to look at all the possibilities, as well as their probabilities. For example, we conduct well over 100 stress tests each week to make sure we are prepared for what we are not predicting. We even evaluate the laws and regulations we live under today and project how they might be interpreted 10 years from now. We call this reinterpretation risk. We look at a broad range of possibilities and probabilities to ensure that we understand as best we can all of the possible outcomes, recognizing that we are not trying to make a forecast with certainty. Sometimes the action you take may not be the one that gives you the best outcome, but the one that gives you a good outcome and reduces the possibilities of bad outcomes. It is also often very difficult to capture the inflection points in the economy. Most people imagine the future as being roughly equivalent to the past, give or take a bit. However, we know there are significant inflection points, which are sometimes easy to see in hindsight, but almost impossible to predict. While we also try to keep things as streamlined as possible, making things simpler than they really are is equally flawed. Too many times, people seek simple cookie-cutter solutions that sound good but just don't work. For example, class size in schools matters, but not necessarily in all types of classes. In Vietnam, when a major city once had a rat population problem, the government devised what it thought was an easy, foolproof solution pay people to kill rats. All people had to do was bring in a rat tail to be paid. 
What the government didn't consider was that people would breed rats for a supply of rat tails to sell. All compensation schemes should be continuously reevaluated. And six, remain open to learning how to become a better leader. In addition to these thoughts on analysis, assessment, and good decision-making, some softer leadership lessons are equally important. As companies get bigger and more complex, leaders need to be more like coaches and conductors than players. If CEOs are running a smaller business, they can literally be involved in virtually everything and make most of the decisions. They often rely on traditional command and control tactics. This approach does not work as companies get bigger. The CEO simply cannot be involved in every major decision. Command and constant feedback may be better than command and control. Here is where leaders would be better off providing clear direction and letting people do their job, including making mistakes along the way. Soft power, essentially trust and maturity, may become more important than hard power. Soft power creates respect among team members, with the coach offering honest assessment and support while allowing flexibility. Here, the boss makes fewer but tougher decisions, such as removing people when it must be done, and even then, it is handled respectfully. People will give to the best of their ability for leaders they respect and who they know are trying to help them succeed. Respect and learn from your people. Managers and leaders get spread pretty thin. While they should have a wide grasp of many subjects, they could not possibly know everything their people know. Leaders should continually be learning from their people. They should go to a sales conference and ask lots of questions of their salespeople. They should gather technology people in the room with branch managers and ask, how are things working? Taking a road trip should not be only for the purpose of showing the flag, but also for learning from your employees and customers. Have curiosity. It's important to ask questions to try to understand varying points of view. Be willing to change your mind. Read everything. Don't defend decisions of the past. Leaders should be happy when their people prove them wrong. Do not have a rigid mindset. And do not be complacent. Skip hierarchy. If everything in a large organization must go up and down the hierarchical ladder, bureaucratic arteriosclerosis, along with CYA, sets in. And that company's life expectancy is substantially shortened. It should be routine that data, memos, and ideas are shared, skipping hierarchies, and aren't vetted by all in the chain of command. This makes people more responsible for what they are doing, improves the dissemination of new information and new ideas, and speeds things up overall. In addition, it's good to have a few mavericks who are not afraid to shake things up. The ones who challenge authority or convention often get far more done than the ones who go along to get along. Collaboration is wonderful, but it can be overdone. Act at the speed of relevance. When leaders have plenty of time to make decisions, they should analyze all factors over and over. Take the necessary time, as choices can be hard to reverse. And there are other decisions that are more like battlefield promotions where there's no luxury of time. And in fact, going slow may make things much worse. I've also seen people take a tremendous amount of time to make an unimportant decision, which just wastes time and slows things down. In business, some decisions should be made carefully, 
For instance, putting the right people in the right job. But others, such as making pricing decisions, dealing with customer problems, and handling reputational issues, must be done quickly, for these problems do not age well. This next portion, entitled The Importance of Developing Leaders, was included in my 2009 letter to shareholders. My number one priority is to put a healthy and productive succession process in place. As I will be increasingly focused on this process, I would like to share my thoughts about the essential qualities a leader must have, particularly as they relate to a large multinational corporation like J.P. Morgan Chase. Leadership is an honor, a privilege, and a deep obligation. When leaders make mistakes, a lot of people can get hurt. Being true to oneself and avoiding self-deception are as important to a leader as having people to turn to for thoughtful, unbiased advice. I believe social intelligence and emotional quotient, or EQ, matter in management. EQ can include empathy, clarity of thought, compassion, and strength of character. Good people want to work for good leaders. Bad leaders can drive out almost anyone who's good because they are corrosive to an organization. And since many are manipulative and deceptive, it often is a challenge to find them and root them out. At many of the best companies throughout history, the constant creation of good leaders is what has enabled the organizations to stand the true test of greatness, the test of time. Here are some essential hallmarks of a good leader. While we cannot be great at all of these traits, I know I'm not, to be successful, a leader needs to get most of them right. Discipline. This means holding regular business reviews, talent reviews, and team meetings, and constantly striving for improvement. From having a strong work ethic, to making lists, and doing real detailed follow-up. Leadership is like exercise. The effect has to be sustained for it to do any good. Fortitude. This attribute often is missing in leaders. They need to have a fierce resolve to act. It means driving change, fighting bureaucracy and politics, and taking ownership and responsibility. High standards. Leaders must set high standards of performance all the time, at a detailed level, and with a real sense of urgency. Leaders must compare themselves with the best. Huge institutions have a tendency towards slowing things down, which demands that leaders push forward constantly. True leaders must set the highest standards of integrity. Those standards are not embedded in the business, but require conscious choices. Such standards demand that we treat our customers and employees the way we would want to be treated ourselves, or the way we would want our own mother to be treated. Ability to face facts. In a cold-blooded, honest way, leaders emphasize the negatives at management meetings and focus on what can be improved. Of course, it's okay to celebrate the successes, too. All reporting must be accurate and all relevant facts must be reported with full disclosure and on one set of books. Openness. Sharing information all the time is vital. We should debate the issues and alternative approaches, not the facts. The best leaders kill bureaucracy. It can cripple an organization. And watch for signs of politics, like sidebar meetings after the real meeting, because people wouldn't speak their mind at the right time. Equally important? Leaders get out on the field regularly so as not to lose touch. Anyone in a meeting should feel free to speak his or her mind without fear of offending anyone else. 
I once heard someone describe the importance of having at least one truth-teller at the table. Well, if there is just one truth-teller at the table, you're in trouble. Everyone should be a truth-teller. Set up for success. An effective leader makes sure all the right people are in the room, from legal, systems and operations, to human resources, finance, and risk. It's also necessary to set up the right structure. When triheads report to co-heads, all decisions become political, a setup for failure, not success. Morale building. High morale is developed through fixing problems, dealing directly and honestly with issues, earning respect and winning. It does not come from overpaying people or delivering sweet talk, which permits the avoidance of hard decision-making and fosters passive-aggressive behaviors. Loyalty, meritocracy, and teamwork. While I deeply believe in loyalty, it often is misused. Loyalty should be to the principles for which someone stands and to the institution. Loyalty to an individual frequently is another form of cronyism. Leaders demand a lot from their employees and should be loyal to them, but loyalty and mutual respect are two-way streets. Loyalty to employees does not mean that a manager owes them a particular job. Loyalty to employees means building a healthy, vibrant company, telling them the truth, and giving them meaningful work, training, and opportunities. If employees fall down, we should get them the help they need. Meritocracy and teamwork also are critical, but frequently misunderstood. Meritocracy means putting the best person in the job, which promotes a sense of justice in the organization, rather than the appearance of cynicism. Here they go again, taking care of their friends. Finally, while teamwork is important and often code for getting along, equally important is an individual's ability to have the courage to stand alone and do the right thing. Fair treatment. The best leaders treat all people properly and respectfully, from clerks to CEOs. Everyone needs to help everyone else at the company because everyone's collective purpose is to serve clients. When strong leaders consider promoting people, they pick those who are respected and ask themselves, would I want to work for him? Would I want my kid to report to her? And finally, humility. Leaders need to acknowledge those who came before them and helped shape the enterprise. It's not all their own doing. There's a lot of luck involved in anyone's success. A little humility is important. The overall goal must be to help build a great company. Then we can do more for our employees, our customers, and our communities.